Thank you, brother. It's one of my favorites. Tell you what, we could uh, just about have a prayer of dismissal and go to the house. That's enough truth in that song for you to get the, uh, get the full gospel message. I'm so thankful for the truth that he was singing about tonight. How many of you are glad that the price for our sin has been paid? You know, that's the message we've got to be preaching to a lost and dying world. The price has been paid. Our sins were paid for at the cross, and now all who by grace through faith trust in the finished work of Jesus can be born again. Your sins can be forgiven. Hey, listen, your sins can be put as far as the east is from the west. God will no longer hold them against you. God will um, reckon you as one of his children, the Bible tells us, that we are now, for those who have been born again in the family of, family of God, we've been uh, adopted into his family. God sees us as his sons and daughters. What a blessing. That's all because Jesus paid the price for my sin and your sin, that sin that separated us from holy God. What a blessing. I love that song. He's paid everything. He's done everything necessary for those who choose to trust in him to be saved. Everything's done. All you got to do is trust in Him. Man, that's the message of the gospel. And that's why that song is so very powerful. Thank you so much for being here this evening. I'm glad to see each and every one of you. Um, it's always good to come together on a Wednesday night, right in the middle of a busy work week, and get to get, dive into the Word of God with the people of God and the place of God and the presence of God. And that's what I love, man, to experience God's presence with God's people. That strengthens me. That encourages me. Uh, that really just... Fires me up for the rest of the week, and I love Wednesday night Bible study, and I'm so glad you're here this evening. I know the Lord has something for us, and we're ready to receive it. So I'm asking you right now to ready your hearts and ready your minds. Open minds, hungry hearts, ready to receive what the Lord has for you. I, if you hadn't been praying for these services, then let me encourage you to begin now praying that God would reveal to us Himself through His precious Word. Because how many of you know that's how God reveals Himself to us? It's through His Word. It's through His truth. And that's what I want to get a hold of tonight. Now, take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter number 6 is what we're going to be looking at again this evening. We're learning how to be good soldiers. We're learning how to fight the good fight. Now, we know, um, and the, the reason we're doing this is because we know as Christ followers, as those who have been blood-bought, as those who have been born again, into God's family. We know that we've not only been born again into a family, but we have also been enlisted into an army. If you believe that this evening, say amen. The Bible teaches that plainly all throughout the New Testament. The Bible teaches in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3, Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, you need to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was not only talking to his son in the faith, Timothy, way back when, but he's, through the living word, speaking to us. We are called to be good soldiers in God's army, fighting the good fight of faith, fighting the, um, the battle, the spiritual battle of light against the darkness day by day. Now, the Bible never tells us um, anything that we should do without also telling us how to do it. I mean, if the Bible tells us to be good soldiers and the Bible tells us that we are in God's army, we're in a spiritual battle, we're facing spiritual warfare daily, if the Bible tells us that, it also tells us how we can be effective in the battle. It tells us how we can be the good soldier that God has saved you and I to be. 
And so that's what Paul is dealing with in Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians 6 and 11, if you remember, says that we are to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now the word wiles there means the strategy. We know that we have an adversary, we have an enemy, one who comes against us. And he's very strategic in how he attacks believers, how he attacks the individual believer, and also how he attacks the church. I heard a pastor say years ago, and I believe it to this day because I've seen it to be true in my own life, the devil knows your weaknesses better than you know your weaknesses. And he will come at you at your weakest point. He is very strategic in how he does this. Now, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to us how we can be effective in the battle. He said, what we've got to do is put on our spiritual armor. Amen. But we've got to get ready for the fight. No soldier in any battle is going to be effective if he don't have his armor on. Can you imagine a football player going to play football without a football helmet? Can you imagine... Um, a hockey player going to play hockey without, uh, first of all, suiting up in the uniform. Can you imagine an American soldier going to the battlefield without all of the armor that he's to put on, without his Kevlar vest and his rifle for shooting and his helmet to protect his head? That's the picture Paul is painting. He's just using the Roman soldier. And so he, he, he's, if you remember, we said last week, when Paul is writing this, he's actually now being chained to a Roman soldier. They took it in shifts. One took the early shift and one took the late shift. But all throughout the day, because Paul was such a high-profile prisoner of Rome, he was chained to a Roman guard. And so I think Paul, looking at this soldier, seeing his uniform, said, You know what? There's some preaching in that. And God, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave Paul exactly what he needed and what we need so that we can learn how to be effective in the spiritual warfare that we face. Now, we've talked all about this for the last three or four weeks. And we said in verse 14, Paul told us to put on the belt of truth. And we talked about how that belt of truth is foundational. Without the belt um, holding everything else together, the soldier's not going to be able to fight. If you remember, I told you, without the belt, his trousers would fall down and his tunic would fly open. You can't have that in the middle of the battle. He's got to have his belt of truth on. He's got to have everything tied together. That belt is foundational for the battle. Now, what Paul is saying is truth is foundational for the spiritual battle that we're going to face. Now, listen to me. Paul knew how Satan operated, therefore he knew how to defend the attack of Satan. Are you getting me? Paul knew what Satan would come at us with because he had experienced it himself, and so he knew how to defend those attacks. He knew that Satan was a liar, so he said, I'll tell you what you better do, you better have your belt of truth on. How many of y'all know Satan's a liar tonight? Jesus said it in John 8, 44. He said that uh, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And so Paul, knowing that Satan was a liar, he said, you better get your belt of truth on because he's going to lie to you. Amen? You've got to be ready for the attack that's coming. He said you've got to put on that breastplate of righteousness. You've got to put on the shoes of peace. You've got to put on the shield of faith and the, uh, and the, and the helmet of salvation. You've got to put on all of this armor. And it's so vitally important that we as believers learn to do that. Now, how does that work? How does that defend us from Satan's attack? Well, when Satan comes along and begins whispering those lies into your ear, putting those thoughts in your head that you know ain't true... And 
this is how he does it many times. Maybe something's going on in your life that you don't understand. Maybe it's almost like life has snuck up behind you and jerked the rug out from under your feet and you fell flat on your face and you don't know which end is up. And man, things just don't seem to be going right. Circumstances and situations are getting the best of you. And in those times, a lot of times what will happen, Satan will come along and say, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let this happen to you. What is that? That's a lie. Absolutely. But if you know the truth, you can defend that. See, if you know what John 3.16 says, you can defend that. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world, that's me, the world of humanity, that's you, that's every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born on the face of the earth. God so loved the world of humanity that he gave his son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see how you defend those lies by knowing the truth? See, and I want to let you in on something before I go any further. The test of whether or not God loves you is not what you're going through. It's not. Satan wants you to believe that. But that's not the true test. The test of whether or not uh, God loves you is not what's going on now, but what's already happened a long time ago in the past. If you want to know how much God loves you, all you've got to do is look to the cross. The Bible says, Romans chapter 5, that God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if there's ever any question of whether or not God loves you, all you need to do is look back at Calvary. You need to look back and remember, God loved you, you, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done. God loved you so much while you are yet still in your sins. He put his son on a cross. So that your sins can be forgiven. The perfect holy lamb of God. The son of God. God the son tasted death. So that we could have life. That's how much God the father loves you. Now think about that just a moment. Parents. Those of you who are parents tonight. I bet. It would be very difficult. For you to give up your son or daughter. On behalf of someone else. Would it be difficult for you parents to put your son, your daughter on a cross, on a Roman cross? Would it, would it be difficult for you to put your son or your daughter through the torture and punishment that Jesus went through with the scourging, the cat of nine tails, the spikes through the wrist and through the feet? Would that be difficult for you to do? I want to tell you something. I love everybody in here, and I mean that. I love all of you in Jesus. I really do. I want what God wants for you. I want to see the Lord work in your life. I want to see God work in your family. I want you to be what God has saved you to be because I know that's where true purpose, that's where true peace, that's where true joy is found. When you start becoming, when I start becoming what God wants us to be. Can you say amen? I love you in Jesus, every one of you. But let me tell you this. If I'm honest tonight, I don't love anybody in here enough to put my son on the cross for your behalf. I don't. I couldn't do it. But that's exactly what God has done for us. So the true test of whether or not God loves you 
It's not what's going on in your circumstances, but what God did at Calvary. We are all going to go through tough times. We're all going to have some hard places in our lives. Let me tell you why. Because we live in a fallen creation. We live in a world marred by sin. We live in a world full of imperfect people. Me being one of them. You being one of them. And sometimes problems hit not just because of somebody else's choices, but problems come my way because of my choices. So I want you to know your circumstances will change. You'll have good times. You'll have bad times. But you need to understand none of that matters when it comes to how much God loves you. What matters is what he did at Calvary. Amen? So don't let Satan lie to you because he'll try to do that. But if you have the belt of truth on, if you have that foundation of truth, you'll know how to defend that attack the enemy brings at you. You will. Then he said, not only the belt of truth, but that breastplate of righteousness. Now, if Satan can't get us with lies, he'll get us with lust. And what I mean by lust is that desire of the sinful nature. Amen? And, and Satan knows that we have that fleshly nature or the sinful nature that we, we all were born with. How do you know? We were all born by the seed of man. That's what the Bible teaches. We were born uh, by the seed of Adam, and it was through the seed of Adam that each and every one of us were born with a sinful nature, according to Romans 5.12. As by one man sin entered the world, and then death because of sin, and so death passed upon all men because one man sinned. That means when Adam sinned in the garden, that sin was passed down generation to generation to generation, all the way down to you and me, so that when we were born into this world, we were born with a sinful nature. Now, parents, you know what that looks like. How many of y'all figured out you don't have to teach your kids to lie? You ain't got to teach your kids to be selfish. You don't have to teach your kids to say cuss words. They'll figure that out themselves. They will. You may tell you why? Because they got a sinful nature. Just like I've got a sinful nature. Just like you've got a sinful nature. We were all born into sin. And Satan knows that he can tempt us so that we might appease the flesh instead of please God. And so that's what he tries to do. He puts those temptations in our way that would cause us to stumble, that would cause us to fall. So how do we combat that? How do we defend that? Paul said, you better put on that breastplate of righteousness. You better start practically living out the righteousness Christ has given to you, has imputed to you. Amen? Take God's word, apply it to your life, and live out by faith what you know to be true. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. He said, put on the shoes of peace. Amen. You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, gives us peace. And it's not like the world gives. That's what Jesus is talking about. Let's flip over there just a moment. I, just, I, I didn't want to go this far, but I'm, I just feel led to. Go, to. go with me to John chapter number. Um, let's look down. Chapter number. Fourteen, And let's start in verse number 23. Jesus is about to go back to the Father from whence he came. And these are really the, the, the this is really the last messages that he's preaching 
in what's called the Olivet Discourse. He's, Jesus is there at the Mount of, Mount of Olives and he's, he, he's preaching to his disciples his final messages before going to the cross. This is what he says in John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken to you being yet present with you, but the Comforter, listen to this, the Comforter, the one who comes alongside to help us, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Look what he says in verse 27. Peace, peace I leave with you. Watch what he tells us. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you believe God's word, say amen. Jesus said we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to let our heart be troubled. We don't have to spend our lives, our, our, our complete existence in worry and fear. And if there's one thing I have seen in this last year and a half is that we live in a world filled with fear. People are scared to death. They're worried about what might happen, what could happen, what's going to happen in 15 years. Their, their, their minds are completely controlled with worry and fear. You know what Jesus said? That's, that shouldn't be true of his disciples. That shouldn't be true of his followers. Why? Because God the Holy Spirit gives us peace. Peace not like the world has, but peace like only he can give. And so, if there's one thing Satan tries to do, is to cause us to worry. Cause us to wonder if things are going to work out like they're supposed to work out. If things are going to be like we want them to be. He, he wants to continually cloud our minds, our hearts, our very being with worry and fear. But you know what? Paul knew that and so he said, put on your shoes of peace. See, when we realize what God has promised and when we realize who God is, we know because of who he is, he'll do what he's promised. Well, who is he? He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the God of all comfort. He is the prince of peace. He is, he's our ever-present help in a time of need. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Our heavenly father loves us. And the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? The Bible says he causes all things to work together for those who love him and are called, to work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He works all things together for our good and for his glory. Well, if you know that, if you know that, you can rest in that. So when Satan tries to bring worry your way, when Satan tries to bring fear your way, you can go back to the truth. You can rest in the fact that God is exactly who he claims to be and because of who he is, he'll do what he said. There's peace in it. You can rest in it. Are you getting me? So regardless of what takes place, we know God is with us. We know God is for us. It's amazing. That gives you peace. Then he said, "Put that, take that shield of faith so that you might be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. What are those darts? We talked about this last week. It's the darts of doubt. Satan's still doing what he's always done. He started in the Garden of Eden with Eve. And all throughout time, he's been trying to cause men, women, boys, and girls to doubt the truth of what God has promised, to doubt the truth of who God is. 
And so what Paul says, you've got to put on that, take up that shield of faith. Be certain in what God has promised because God is able. Take that helmet of salvation and put it on your head. <laughs> like we said last week, man, when you've got salvation, folks, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that could happen is for me to drop dead right now, but if I do, guess what? I still win. Let me tell you why, because I've got salvation. I know in whom I've trusted. I know my last breath on earth will be followed by my first breath in heaven. That keeps my thoughts clear. That, that's putting on that helmet of salvation. I've got assurance in knowing that I have a home in heaven. I've got assurance in knowing that God is my Father. Again, not because of who I am, because of what Jesus has done for me. It's a blessing to see all these different pieces of armor defending and how we are defended against the attack of the enemy by them. And so we got to daily put that on, but all of these uh, pieces of armor that we've talked about thus far are all defensive weapons. It, it defends us from the attack of the enemy. <laughs> Amen? And then Paul, he, got, he moves a step further, and I really like this. He, he moves on from the defensive weapons to the offensive weapons that we as believers have. Take your Bibles and keep a place there in, in Ephesians chapter 6, and, and look over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's look down at verse number 3. Look what Paul says here. He says, for, we, for though we walk in the flesh, or we're still in these physical bodies, we do not war after the flesh. See, because the battle that we fight is not a physical battle. The battle we fight as believers is a spiritual battle. So he says, we don't war after the flesh. We've got to remember, we're not warring against flesh and blood, right? Like he said in Ephesians 6, but we do war against powers and principalities. The enemy is not flesh and blood, so we don't war like flesh and blood wars. We don't go into the battle like uh, fleshly people do. He says, that's not how we fight. He says in verse 4, for the weapons, everybody say weapons. Weapons are offensive, are offensive um, weapons to use in the battle. It's, it's an offensive term. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I love that. He says, our, our weapons that we use as believers fighting this spiritual battle, they're not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they are mighty. They're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds in our lives. Stronghold is anything that'll hold you back, anything that'll hold you down, anything that'll keep you from being what God wants you to be. He says they're mighty to pulling down those strongholds. So what are those weapons? Well, Paul gives them to us in Ephesians 6. Let's go back over there. Look down with me, if you will, please. Verse number Look at verse number uh, 17. He gives us two here, and what I want to do tonight, if we have time, we'll go to both of these. If not, we'll just do one this week and one next week. But he says, And take the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So what's he saying, our offensive weapons? What are these weapons that are not carnal, but 
that are mighty. Well, it's two of them. It's the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and it's prayer. Amen? So tonight what I want to do is look at the Word of God and how important it is for us as we battle against the enemy. In Hebrews chapter 4, brother, if you will please put this on the screen for me. Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. Look what the writer there tells us about the Word of God. This is so good. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is quick, and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So not only does the Word of God call the Word of God a sword in Ephesians 6, it also calls it a sword in Hebrews chapter 4. So what we have in our hands is the offensive weapon God has used us, has given us so that we might use it in the battle against the enemy. It's your Bible. It's the Word of God. How many of y'all believe it's the Word of God? Absolutely. This is God's love letter to you. Amen? And I want you to know, in this letter, He reveals Himself and gives us everything we need for the battle. Everything we need. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's our offensive weapon. It's what we battle the enemy with. Now, how do I know this? Because, listen, folks, you know that Christ was not only our Savior, but He's also our supreme example. He shows us how our life is supposed to be lived. That's why Christians are supposed to be what? What is Christ? Yeah, Christ-like. That's what Christians mean. It means to be like Jesus. Amen? And so Jesus, our supreme example, showed us how to use the weapon of the Word, the weapon in the spiritual battle that He faced. Now, when did He do that? Well, He did it when He battled Satan concerning um, His own temptation. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 4. If we can see how Jesus did it, maybe we can figure out how we can do it. Amen? So Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1. Watch this. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now that's a, that's a strange verse to me when I first read it. That Jesus was actually led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted. Now why would God the Holy Spirit lead God the Son into the wilderness so that he might be tempted? Well folks, if he's not tempted, he can't overcome temptation. If he can't overcome temptation, then listen, the followers of Christ can't overcome our temptation that we face through his power. But if he does overcome temptation, then through the power of Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, we too can overcome. Well, you know what the Bible teaches me in the book of Hebrews? That Jesus was tempted in all points just like we are. Jesus was tempted with every temptation that you face, every temptation that I face. And I think his degree of temptation, being the Son of God and God the Son, was much more rigorous than mine. I really do. I think he went through temptation to a much greater scale than we could ever experience. Yet, the Bible says, he was tempted in all points, yet he, was, he, he came out of that completely and totally sinless. He overcome every temptation that he faced. Well, the Bible gives us at least one record of that in Matthew chapter 4 right here. Look at verse number 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And the tempter came to him, and he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now watch this, verse 4. And, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds 
out of the mouth of God. What's Jesus doing? He's coming back at Satan with the Word of God. So what you have here is the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking the written Word right at the enemy. It's amazing. How do I know that? Because what Jesus quotes come from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 3. That's what Jesus comes back at Satan with. When he says it is written, he means it's written in the Word of God. It's written in the Scripture. He comes back at, at him with the sword of the Spirit. Do you see them doing battle? Watch. Watch this now. Verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into an holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash, dash thy foot uh, against the stone. So he again tempts him. You know, show us who you are. I mean, if, you, if you're really who you say you are, then you can cast yourself down and, and, and you're not going to be hurt at all. But look how he does it. He brings even to the Son of God a question of doubt. He says, if thou be, if you're really who you claim to be, if you are really the Son of God and God the Son. Now, do you think if Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt who he was, Will he not do the same with us? If he tries to get Jesus to doubt the truth of God's word, will he not do the same with us? Do you see how he operates? Now watch. Again, verse number 7. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That comes from Deuteronomy 6.16. Jesus again comes right back at him with the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And he's doing battle against the enemy by the word. <laughs> So powerful, man. I love that. Satan keeps on. Verse 8. And again, the devil taking them up into an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt, not worship, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. Deuteronomy 6.13. So what he's doing is coming at, back at him continually, with Scripture. Now, if that's what Jesus did, and we're supposed to be Christ-like, then what are we supposed to do? We use the Word as our offensive weapon in the battle, just like Jesus is doing. If Jesus overcame temptation with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, how can we overcome temptation? With the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. If it worked for Jesus, it will work for us. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, the Word of God in the flesh, was quoting the Word of God in his battle with the enemy. It's amazing. That's, he's teaching us how that we can overcome, how we can do this spiritual battle that we've been talking about for the last month. Now, not only did Jesus do it, in Matthew chapter number 4. And before I go on, I want you to write down a scripture for me. 1 John chapter 2. I just put it in my margin out here in Matthew chapter 4. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 16. 1 John 2, 16 says that all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It says that we are not to love the world because that's all the world has to offer us. 
Now, when he's talking about the world there, he's not talking about the world of humanity. He's talking about that world system that is against God and against his truth. And he said that all the world has to offer is what looks good to the eye, what pleases the flesh, and what brings pride to the human being. What he tempted Jesus with is the lust of the flesh if you are fasting for 40 days. You're probably hungry, wouldn't you agree? I mean, if you ain't ate anything in 40 days, it would probably, probably be very tempting to turn some stones into bread and chow down. And how do you know Jesus had the power to do that? He could have commanded those stones to be made bread. That had to be tempting to his flesh, seeing as though he hadn't eaten in 40 days. So the lust of the flesh, the desire of the flesh, is what Satan was tempting Jesus with. The lust of the eyes. He carried him up to the top of the temple. Or excuse me, the pride of life. He carried him up to the top of the temple. And he said, cast yourself down in front of all these people. And if you can cast yourself down in front of all these people and you don't get hurt, we'll know who you claim to be. Now what would that have done for Jesus? That would have caused all the people around there to worship him. I mean, if you see a guy fall off the temple and smack the ground and get up like nothing's happened, that would probably make you a very popular person. So what's he tempting with? The pride of life. And then he said he took him up onto a mountain and showed him. What, how do you, how, what, what do you show? When you show somebody, what do they do? They look. <laughs> Amen. So he carries Jesus up onto this mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms. So he, he gave him there in an instant a vision of the kingdoms of the world. He said, all of this can be yours, every bit of it, if you fall down and worship me, the lust of the eyes. What looks good to the eyes, what feels good to the flesh, and what causes human beings to be prideful is how Satan still tempts us today. The way we battle that and the spiritual battle that I face and you're going to face is with the Word of God. It's knowing the truth. It's standing on the truth. It's believing the truth. It's preaching the truth. It's living the truth. It's using the truth to battle the enemy. If you got it, say, I got it. That's what he did when he was tempted in the wilderness. But let me tell you what he will do in the future. Go to, the, go to the book of Revelation with me. Revelation chapter number 19. We find the story in Revelation 19 of the battle of Armageddon. You students of prophecy know what the battle of Armageddon is all about. The battle of Armageddon actually is the final battle between um, good and evil, light and darkness. It's the final battle between the Son of God and God the Son, the Lord Jesus, and Satan himself. All right? And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 11, John, the revelator, giving us this here, he says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doeth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood... Watch this now. And his name is called the Word of God. So who's he speaking of here? Jesus, the living Word. <laughs> 
He's speaking of Jesus, the same one that he was speaking of, the same writer, John the Revelator, wrote the Gospel of John. And in John chapter 1 and verse number 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what anything made that was made, unless it was made by Him. John 1, 1 through 3. When he's talking about the Word of God, he's talking about Jesus. Amen? So here you have Jesus. The picture's this. Heaven opens. Jesus leads his armies out of heaven. Praise God. Let me tell you why I say praise God. Because I'm coming with him. I'm coming with him in this final battle. All the raptured saints that were raptured before the great tribulation will come back at the end of the great tribulation to fight with the Lord Jesus in this last final battle of Armageddon. But the bad news is we ain't going to do much fighting. We really ain't. Because it ain't going to be much of a fight. Let me tell you how I know this. Look down in verse number 20. Let's just read verse 21. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Who's he that sits upon the horse? It's Jesus that we just described in verses 11 and 12. He's the one coming out of heaven on the horse, right? And we're following him into the battle. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. What is the sword that come out of the mouth of Jesus? It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. And it was just from his spoken word that all the armies of the enemy were completely destroyed. And the Bible says... The birds of the heavens were filled with their flesh. So the buzzards had plenty to eat is really what the Bible is telling us. And all of that took place just by the spoken word of Jesus. Do you see the power in the word of God? Jesus did fight the spiritual battle against the enemy in his temptation with the word of God. He will fight the final, final battle at the battle of Armageddon with the word of God. Now, if this weapon is good enough for Jesus, I believe it's good enough for us, don't you? The word of God is the weapon we use to fight against the enemy. But not only does it provide a weapon that we can fight with, but it also provides nourishment for the soldier. When I was a little boy, my mama, to get me to eat my supper, would always tell me, if you want to grow up and be big and strong like your daddy, you need to clean that plate. You need to eat all that good food, because if you don't eat good, you're never going to get big and strong. And man, I'd just start gobbling it down, because I wanted to be big and strong, right? As a little boy, just like that. What is true physically speaking? is also true spiritually speaking. If you truly want to grow spiritually, if you truly want to be what God has saved you to be, let me tell you how you grow, spiritually speaking. Let me tell you how you get strong, spiritually speaking. You get strong by the truth of the Word of God when you feast upon it. When you feast upon it. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth he wanted to feed them some meat. 
But all they were used to was milk, and the meat was too strong for them. He said, I'm wanting you to grow past the baby stage. How many know babies drink milk? He said, all you're, all you're wanting to drink on is milk. you still got the bottle, and I want to feed you a steak, is what he's telling them. I'm trying to get you to grow up, but you grow by getting a hold of the truth, by getting a hold of the word, by ingesting the word of God, by, like I said, coming with open hearts, open minds, hungry hearts, ready to receive what God has for you. Now, don't get me wrong. When you feast, it's not just to happen in here, but it's to happen daily. That we take time to spend time in the Word of God so that we might grow thereby, is what the Bible says. Are you getting me? I want to give you something that has always been a help to me, and I hope and pray that it's a help to you as well. If you're going to grow, spiritually speaking, you've got to get the right nourishment. You've got to eat the right meals. Now, what do I mean by that? If we're going to eat the right meal, we've got to feast on the Word of God. So, first of all, we memorize God's Word. And you can put down Psalm 119 11. Brother, put that on the screen for me if you will. Memorize the Word of God. Listen what the psalmist, said, psalmist David said here in Psalm 119. I love this. Psalm 119 11. I'm sorry. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So, what do we do when we memorize or hide God's word in our heart? It helps us to live practically righteous lives. Amen. It helps us to keep on that breastplate of righteousness so that we might not sin against the Lord. Not only does the word of God help us live righteous lives, folks, but when we hide it in our heart, we, 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 it will always, it seems to me, come back to memory when you need it the most. It really does. God the Holy Spirit does that. He'll bring back to memory um, what we have learned according to the truth of God's Word. That happens to me over and over and over again. You say, brother, it's just really hard for me to memorize anything. Well, I've come to find out I remember what's important to me, right? I really do. I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a dear brother in Christ, and he was probably the biggest Alabama fan that I've ever met in my life. I mean, that brother loved Alabama, and I'm not against him. I mean, I love Alabama too. And if you don't love Alabama, come up here in this altar and get your heart right. I mean, it's time. Brother, it's time. <laughs> I'm, I'm just picking at you. Uh, I'm just saying, he loved Alabama football. And I'm not against loving football. I love football too. Um, but uh, I'm just saying, what I noticed was he could go three deep on Alabama's roster at any time. He could tell you who the starting quarterback was, who the backup was, who was behind him. And he couldn't just do it for the quarterback. He could do it for the left tackle. I mean, he could do it for everybody on the football team. He could tell you where they were from. He could tell you what their 40 time was. Y'all think I'm kidding, but I've I seen this brother do that over and over and over again. And, and every year, he memorized them again as they changed. It was amazing. Now, I'm not against 
loving things like that and enjoying life. But let me tell you when we've got a problem. We've got a problem when we can go three deep on Alabama's roster, but we can't read the Scripture. Are you see what I'm saying? It is a lot more beneficial to you and to me to hide God's Word in our heart than anything else. So memorize Scripture. Um, it's very, very important. I had a pastor ask me one time. He said, I was a young man. He said, young man, let me ask you something. He said, I want, if, 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 let's just say right now there was a communist takeover of the United States of America. And they came in here, which we ain't far from it. But if, we really ain't. Be praying for this country. But he, he says, well, if there was a communist takeover of the United States of America and they took away scripture from us, they took your Bibles, would, would you know enough of the word of God without the written word your Bible uh, to be able to share Christ with someone else. Man, that really convicted my heart. And I think we all need to ask ourselves that question. What if we don't have our Bible? It's important that we memorize. But now, also we need to examine God's Word. Joshua 1 and verse 8. Put that on the screen for me, brother. Joshua 1, Joshua 1 and verse number 8. Now after the death... Excuse me. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate. Everybody say meditate. When I'm talking about uh, examining, I'm talking about meditate. Meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So what's the, what's the Lord telling um, Joshua here? He's saying that he ought to continually meditate upon God's word. Meditate upon God's truth. And we should do the same thing, especially if we want... Um, to make our way prosperous. Anybody want that? Y'all want to make your way prosperous? I don't know about y'all, but I do. Anybody want to have good success? You want that in your life? Well, absolutely. Me too. I want to be successful in all the things God cares about. That's what I want to be successful in. And the only way I can do that is to know what God cares about. How do I know what God cares about? Well, I need to meditate upon His Word. I need to examine the Scriptures. Let me tell you what I fall, um, um, fall into a lot of times. I know that I need to be reading God's Word. But there's times I don't set aside enough time to read God's Word. Now, what usually happens when I finally do set aside the time needed to read God's Word, the Lord starts speaking things to my heart, the Word of God bursts a flame in my hand, and I want to kick myself for not doing it sooner. But many times what I'll do, because I don't take time and make time, to spend time in the Word by obligation only. I'll just skim through about five or ten verses before I go to bed at night. Now let me ask you something. Anything wrong with reading God's Word? No. No. But now listen, and, and I'm going to be honest, I feel obligated to read God's Word. Let me tell you why. Because God has saved my soul. And if he reveals himself to me through his word, and I want to know who he is, I feel it is my obligation to read his word. But the reading of the word of God has to be more than just an obligation. Are you hearing me? It needs to be more than that. Listen, you need to cultivate that relationship you have with your heavenly father through the examining, the meditating upon His Word. Amen? 
I'm talking about deeply think about what God is saying to you. I like to read God's word early because when I read it early, I can meditate on it throughout the day. It just goes like this for me. You know, if I read something in the Word of God, uh, whatever it is, a chapter or two chapters or whatever I'm reading, or five or ten verses, for throughout the rest of the day, I'll be praying, God, reveal to me what you want me to see. What does this really mean? How can I use this in my life? How does this apply to me right now? Deeply think it through and think it out. Don't just skim through five or ten verses before bed and it sounds like you speak in Chinese so that you can fulfill your obligation. Are you understand what I'm saying? So examine it, man. Take time to really dig deep into it. Put up there Psalm 2 and 1. I love that verse too. Psalm 2 and verse number 1. Watch this. Oh, Psalm 1 and 2. Let's try that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and the law doth he meditate on it day and night. So if you want to be a blessed man, and that's what Psalm um, chapter 1 is talking about, you need to delight in God's word and meditate on it. Now, not only do we uh, memorize and examine, but we also apply. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, and we, I gave you James 1.22. James 1.22 says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. To be a doer means that you apply God's truth to your life, Right? You start looking for ways that you can apply it to your life uh, in all areas of your life. Not only do we memorize, examine, and apply, but we also listen to it. We listen to it. That's what we're doing here tonight. Hebrews 10.25 says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because it's in the church, it's with the body of Christ that we get into the scripture. We get into the word of God. That's what makes coming to church worth coming. It's getting a hold of God's truth. Now, don't get me wrong. I like seeing all of you. You know, I really do. I miss you when you ain't here. I'm encouraged when you are here. I like seeing every one of you. But that's not the reason I come. You know why I come? Because I want to glean from the Scripture's truth that can make me what God wants me to be. I want to glean from the Scripture's truth that reveals to me who God is. I want to get a hold of something that I need so that I can be a better husband, a better father, a better witness, a better pastor. So that I can be more like Jesus. Amen? All of that happens through the word of God. And that happens when you come to the, to the church. How many of y'all have ever been sitting in Sunday school class, man, that Sunday school teacher say something and just hits you right between the eyes, and you just know God spoke to you? Has that ever happened to you? Raise your hand. that ever happened to you? Well, anybody ever been sitting in worship service, and the preacher say something that you know you needed, and this is like God hits you right between the eyes, and you said, man, that's for me. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, me too. Anybody ever been in a Wednesday night Bible study, and that happened to you? Listen, me too. Why? Because God chooses to use preaching and teaching of his word to reveal himself and also speak to you. Isn't that amazing? I remember years ago I was preaching at a revival service. And, um, man, I got done that night at the back greeting some folks. And this lady walked by and she walked up to me and she was looking at me. I'm talking about just staring me down. She said, Preacher, how'd you know? And I said, No, what? She said, You know. I said, No, I really don't know. She said, How'd you know? And really, that's all I could get her to keep saying, How you know? And I said, Sister, I promise, I don't know what you're talking about. And she said, a lot of what you said tonight was exactly what's going on in my life. Folks, I wasn't laying across 
the driveway at her house somewhere out in the woods with a pair of binoculars, spying on what was going on. But let me tell you what I do believe happened. I do believe God the Holy Spirit knew what she needed. And, God, and the same Holy Spirit that lives in my heart gave me what she needed according to His truth so that she could be blessed, so that she could be changed, so that she could be encouraged. And that happens through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Amen? I've seen it so many times. So we listen to it. Not only listen to it here, but hey, find you some good preaching on the radio. Let me give you some good ones. David Jeremiah, Chuck Swindoll. I love Chuck Swindoll. Um, Alistair Begg. I love Alistair Begg. Uh, listen to some Tony Evans. Man, if you can't... Um, I love Tony Evans. That brother right there is a fantastic preacher of the Word of God. He's one of my favorites. Um, Adrian Rogers, if you can get a hold of some Adrian Rogers, man, fantastic, one of my favorite preacher. Vance Pittman, if you've ever heard of Vance Pittman from Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, great preacher. There's a whole lot of good preachers that you can download a podcast, man. Listen on your phone. Um, that's one thing I love about a smartphone. You can do it at your leisure. So you memorize, examine, apply, listen, but then you study. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman who rightly divides the word of truth and don't need to be ashamed. That's what Paul told Timothy. There's a difference in reading the word of God and studying the word of God. It's good to read it, but it's better to study it. Let me tell you how you study God's word, okay? And um, very simple. First of all, when you read God's word, when you're getting in the truth, I want you to think three things. First of all, what did it mean then? Keep it in context. My teachers over at the Bible Institute, that's what they'd always say. Context is king, and they're right. Keep it in context. What, who was he talking to then? What, what did it mean to them then? And then let me tell you what you do. You think about what does it mean now? How does it apply today? Well, let me tell you when it, how it really gets powerful, how it really bursts a flame in your hand and gives you what you need. Lord, how does it apply to me? What's it mean to me? What did it mean then? What's it mean now? What's it mean to me? That's when it gets down to where the rubber meets the road. Study the Word of God. Eat your meals. The Word of God is a weapon for the Christian soldier, but it's certainly nourishment for the Christian soldier. And you can't win any battles with weak soldiers. Can you say amen? So let's get in God's truth. Anybody got anything, comments, or questions? Any prayer requests this evening?